Hi, I'm Paul, and who are you? I need a microphone. You need a microphone. We're Connect Group leaders, so um, we have a family Connect Group that meets in Riverhead, and there's a number of other Connect Groups that meet at different days of the week, at different times, so if you're interested in meeting midweek um, to talk about um, the, the, the Sunday and, and the things we're learning, um, then please see Andre towards the back. Right, are we on to the game? I think we're nearly onto the game. Just want to say we're going to go through the, the last bit of Esther today. So the summer series, as you probably gather, has been about the book of Esther. And we've all had a reminder, haven't we, from that recap quiz about the book. And one of the main characters is a king. If you've got a Bible with you or you've got a Bible on your phone, then now's the time to look up Esther chapter 5. Because where are we going first? For a bit of the story that we haven't covered yet, but was in the video earlier. So Esther chapter 5 verse 1. So we're at the bit of the story where Esther is going to see the king and if you recall going to see the king without an appointment was a good well, was a risky was a risky business. On the third day Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it Queen Esther, what is, it, what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king asked, again asked Esther, Now, what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this, if the king regards me with favour and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfil my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. So we're still left in suspense, not knowing how this works out. So we've only had half of the story. We've got some more in a little while. Now, today we're talking about faith, and as we've heard, this is a book that doesn't actually mention God. So where is the faith in God if God's not mentioned? Well, I think that there's um, two ways that Esther shows faith. The first one is how she shows courage, and I think you've already spotted that. The second one is showing how she chose trusting God. Now that's a bit harder to see if someone's trusting. It tends to be a bit quieter. And it's, I think it's more about what Esther doesn't do than what Esther does. Okay, so the first one is the courage one. So even as the queen, Esther isn't allowed to go into the king's inner court without being called for, unless he holds out his golden scepter. The punishment is death. So walking in that doorway, or whatever it was that she went to, had to go through to get to see the king must have been absolutely terrifying. It's not like we were just running up and down happily, up and down the, 
I lost the church. And you would be completely terrified walking into that place. She is literally putting her life on the line. She doesn't know how the king is going to respond. And interestingly, she doesn't go into it saying, oh, it's all right, no, it'll all work out, it'll be fine. She goes in saying, if I perish, I perish. Now, of course, the king doesn't let her die. He holds out his scepter and says, not only does she not die, but he says, whatever you want will be given to you up to half my kingdom. Well, that's like a fairy tale, isn't it? Half, my, half his kingdom, his kingdom was vast. His kingdom went from India to Ethiopia. It was kind of no world, I guess, at that time. She could have asked for clothes, jewelry, palaces, servants, goodness knows, half the kingdom, absolutely massive. But she doesn't do that. She asks him to a banquet, which is a little bit puzzling, perhaps. Because the other thing that she might have been able to do is to use that opportunity to get back her, her enemy straight away. Do you remember, there's another story in the, um, it's actually in the New Testament about a king in a palace, a different king, who says, who offers a person to have as much, anything they want. So this is King Herod in the New Testament. His daughter dances, he's pleased. He says, whatever, would, what would you like? You can have anything you like. And because he said it in front of the guests, he feels obliged to fulfill what she's asked. And what she actually asked, she goes to her mother, the queen, and the queen asks for their enemy's head on a plate. Mm. I mean, how awful is that? Mm. Grizzly. But because the king had offered it, he felt obliged to, to, to agree to it. But Esther didn't do that either. She seems to be biding her time. And she seems to be waiting for God to help her. Remember, um, she's asked the everyone who knows her to fast, and she fasts before she goes to the king. Now most of us aren't very good at waiting. If we're in a really difficult place, we try and figure out the answer for ourselves, don't we? We're tempted. It's very hard just to wait and to, to bide your time. We tend to want to fix it. We might lie awake at night working out how we're going to get some money to pay that bill, or how are we going to face somebody at school who's been nasty, or maybe we're in a position where we've been really badly treated, how are we gonna kind of make our, make it known that we're not like that, we're gonna try and get, regain our reputation. We, we kind of think and we plan, we try and work out what to do. And then we're also often tempted to try and deal with it in a sort of manipulative way. We might be trying to gather all our facts to see if we can get a legal case together. We might want to gossip. I'm sure Esther was in a position, she may not have had much power in the court as a whole, but she was in charge of the whole of the, um, the harem. So she, she would have wanted to gossip, she might have wanted to manipulate, but she doesn't appear to be doing that. And the reason I think she's not doing that is because when the situation starts to change, it's not actually her doing. The thing that seems to be the turning point seems to be when the king can't sleep, he asks for the books of his reign to be read to him, and up pops, by coincidence, the, the story about how Mordecai is helped. And that seems to be where the turning point happens. It's not, it's not her using her powers to manipulate or, or do anything for herself. So God knows the best way to work things out. We think we can work it out, we can fix it, we can 
we can do whatever we, you know, whoever we can to try and solve the problem ourselves. But he knows the best way to fix the situation that we're in. And it's not necessarily the way we're thinking. It may involve us stepping out of faith, like Esther had to do. But then we still have to leave God to work things out. And we'll see as we go on through the story that that's what happens. And I'll be looking at the verse in Ephesians, um, which it's like Esther knows this about God, that God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favour with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition, and spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we'd been merely sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because so no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, This adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went up into the palace garden. But Haman, realising that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she's with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbinah, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He made it for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he prepared for Mordecai. And then the king's fury subsided. Right, thank you. A rather grisly end for our villain. And as you may have spotted, different translations seem to have killed him off in different ways. But however he was killed off, it wasn't very nice. And it was very quick. Uh, so this second chapter that we're looking at today starts with Esther hosting her second banquet in as many days. And as, it, and as Karen said earlier, it's a slightly odd thing to ask for. You can ask for up to half the kingdom, but actually you say, please come to a banquet, and uh, then please come to another banquet. And so therefore our villain, to start with, thinks he's pretty well placed, doesn't he? He's been invited to a banquet with the king and queen, and he's the only other guest. It's pretty elite. So he thinks, not problem. But then there's a big reveal in chapter seven, which isn't entirely clear in the translation. But it is a big reveal because he Haman didn't know that Esther was Jewish. And that is a big kind of like twist for him. And it's a real shock for him. And he suddenly realizes he's in deep trouble, doesn't he? Because Esther says, I'm Jewish and my people need to be saved from an evil plot to wipe them out. Oh, and by the way, the plot is being masterminded by the other guest of the banquet, this guy over here, Haman. And it goes pretty downhill fast for him at that point, doesn't it? The king's not amused. The execution that's planned for Mordecai turns into Haman's execution instead, and it all happens really fast. So there's this big reversal of fortune. Esther and the Jewish people are saved from Haman's plot. And if we have the next slide up, it's quite a busy slide, this, so you won't better follow all of it, don't worry about that. But it does show you what happens at the end of the video that we showed earlier. 
So if you want to watch the rest of the video, just Google Bible Project Tester on YouTube and you can watch to the end. I think the way they do, talking to Sophie, the way they do the timing and the commentary of these is, and the cartoonist is amazing. So you may recall, if you were here last week, Rupert talked about the fact that the book turns, or the word is pivot, but turns on the word for it, on what happens in chapter 6. And then if you look at this cartoon really closely, and you look at the top left and the top right, you can see how those mirroring starts to occur. So the top left, the king of Persia's greatness is described. And in the top right, Mordecai's greatness is described. And if you work down the slide, you can see Haman's elevated, Mordecai's elevated, and so on. And it's all by this V-shape. Can you see the V-shape in, uh, in the pictures? And that's how the book is very cleverly written. So it, it, the first half is mirrored by the second half. Yeah. And after chapter 7, so we read chapter 7, after chapter 7, the rest of the book tells of how Esther and Mordecai work out how to overturn this Jewish death law. And that's not an easy thing to do, because in the Persian times, if you passed a law as the king, you couldn't then repeal the law. There was no kind of sort of reforming option. The law was the law. So they have to come up with a plan to actually, they can't repeal the law. So instead, they pass, get them to pass a different law that says, on the day when the Jews are supposed to be killed, it's legal for the Jews to fight back. That's how they get, that's how they get round the law. And that results in the Jewish people are saved, and Mordecai is promoted, and he actually becomes second in command. So he essentially takes over Haman's job. So let's very quickly as we finish, what can we learn from this story? Because at face value, it looks like political plotting, some very dubious characters, no mention of God, as, as Karen said earlier. But the key point, again, that Karen was saying earlier, is that God is at work. And Karen's already described one way he was at work, even when it doesn't look like it. In chapter 7, we see how God works through a really weak and feeble king. He's not a strong character, is he? Uh, Jesus, in week one, sort of said, this, cat, this king is a really feeble character in the way he behaves with all these banquets and sort of, look at me, look at me. Uh, and yet God uses the king. Because the king could have responded a number of different ways at the banquet when the big reveal came on, when, when Esther says I'm Jewish. He could have been very kind of single-minded and said, no, I'm going to carry on with the law. I'm going to carry on with the law. Haman's my right-hand man. We're going to carry on. I'm not listening to you. You're just the queen who I appointed a few weeks. He doesn't do that, does he? doesn't do that. He actually uh, does what we described in the, in, just now and results in the saving of the Jewish people. So let's bring that bit up to date. So we had in the story, in the first half of the book, it's looking really bad for the Jewish people, isn't it? We've got this weak king, we've got a really dodgy, corrupt, villainous senior official, and we've got this death law on the Jewish people that can't be reversed. That, none of those boxes are ticking, this is looking good, folks. And yet, God turns it round. And today, let's be quite honest, I know there'll be people in the room who will be facing challenges with financial challenges or relational difficulties or something else that looks really immovable. Or if we're talking about our nation or our world, our nation, let's be honest, is facing kind of energy prices, inflation, who's the next government, who's the next prime minister going to be? We've got this horrible war in Europe, 
we've got other things going on in the world, some of the news this morning is horrendous flooding in Pakistan and so on, and you think, these all things look really serious. And they look big to us, but they're not big to God. Yeah. And I'm not diminishing the seriousness either of those big national or international things, all the things that may be happening to you, because they're important and they're serious. But there are two things that we can learn from this book today that I think apply both to us individually and to our nation and to our world. And these are the two thoughts I had as I was reading through it this week. The first is, God fights our battles, I didn't put it on the slide, I thought about it, if we let him. God fights our battles if we let him. And Karen touched upon it a bit earlier, that involves trust, we saw it yesterday, involving trust, patience and, and integrity. And in fact last week Ruben talked a lot about Mordecai's integrity. That's about, that's a big word, it's about being consistent and being the same with everybody, not being, not being buddy-buddy with some people and then being nasty to other people. It's about being consistent with people. Yeah. And then there was this verse that I, I tried to put with it about, uh, so to link to that, about God fighting our battles. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's from Psalm 20, verse 7. Now, chariots and horses are a bit of an odd thing, aren't they? They're not things we have today, but maybe substitute that for jobs that pay well, big house, nice car, life insurance, whatever it is that gives you security. Back in the ancient world, chariots and horses were how you exercise power over people. Today, it's a different thing. But what the writer of the Psalms is saying is we're not trusting in that stuff we're trusting in God and not just in God, we're trusting in the name of the Lord our God yeah. that's who we're going to put our trust yeah, in because we know all these things that come against us he is bigger than them there is a sort of logic to it it does involve trust and so maybe that's something for you to take away and the second one is again linked to something that Karen was, I was just about to go something that Karen said earlier. Justice is done and right prevails in God's way and in God's timing. So Karen up had that bit earlier, didn't she? She talked about Esther not taking back control, leaving it with God. So we're leaving that with you to um, sort out because I can't control that. Um, I mean, I've used this example before, but I don't mind using it again. A few years ago, I suddenly had a sort of a big revelation at work when I realised I could ask God for help in my office. So I work in a government department, I get some sort of problems across my desk all the time, and sometimes I'm sitting there, I, I don't know the answer to this problem. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. This is, And I've learned to go off to the loos and sit in the cubicle and pray. I think, God, I need some insight and some wisdom in how to advise either my boss or a minister about whatever the problem is. They may take or leave my advice, that's kind of a different matter. But I've got to think of an answer. I started doing this, and God started to actually teach me, give me insight into particular issues. To start with, I thought this was cheating. <laughs> and then you learn how to do it. <laughs> and then I realized, no, God goes with us into our workplace, or maybe into school, or at the gate when you're talking to parents. If you ask him for help, he'll give you insight into whatever it is that you encounter. 
So I could finish with this verse from Romans, which is this amazing scripture, which I think was the easiest way to sum up this idea of God. Justice is done and right prevails. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Well, those are all things that you can probably relate to today one way or another. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah. What an amazing wow. truth in the Bible. Yeah. What an amazing truth. Paul, the big Romans, he lists all these things that could come against us and then he says, but that can't separate us from the love of God. None of that stuff can separate us yeah. from the love of God. Is that amazing? That is amazing. Quite amazing. It shows the power that we have available to us today through Jesus, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Things that actually Esther and Mordecai, a fact that Esther and Mordecai couldn't rely on. They were before Jesus. So they were, their faith in a way is even more remarkable because they didn't have Jesus to call upon. But we do, if we choose to. So I'll leave you with these two challenges. If you haven't let Jesus into your life to be in control, like these guys were having to trust each other, are you, have, you, have you let Jesus in to trust him with your life? If you haven't, there's an opportunity today to do that. Can I talk to some of the ministry team afterwards? And they'll talk you through a short prayer to help you uh, have that connection with Jesus and that connection with God. And then for those of you that do know and follow Jesus, the challenge for you is today is, will you let him fight all your battles? Maybe you let him fight some of them, but not other ones. And that's speaking to me a bit as well. At times I go, no, I'll take that one back, God. I'll fight them, I can't actually. No, you are going to have to deal with that as well. Because we either learn things the easy way or the hard way with God. Those are the only two options. Are you going to let him be in control? Because he does actually know what's best. This is what, it's a partly our prize. Well, I know what to do here, God. It's okay. I'm going to control this battle. No, God knows best. Let him fight the battles. Trust him. It doesn't mean we don't use our brain and we don't kind of upset ourselves from responsibilities, but the bits that we need to say, God, I need you to deal with this. I can't deal with this person. They're difficult. I need you to help me in my relationship with them. Or I need you to help me with the provision for the bill or whatever it is. God will help because his word says he helps those who follow him. Let's finish with a prayer. Father God, thank you for the book of Esther. Thank you for indeed your whole Bible and what it teaches us. Thank you this morning. You've been speaking to people around the room through the various uh, words we've spoken from your word, the various scriptures that we've read. Pray, God, that they would go into our hearts, that they would change us, God. Thank you that you are the living God who, who's in the business of changing us and helping us to become more like you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Thanks very much. Well done for listening. Thank you for participating this morning. Hope you hope God spoke to you this morning through something that we were doing. And I think there'll be tea and coffee in the back. Thanks.